It's a special bookworm edition of the Hilarious World of Depression. I'm John Moe. Sort of a pre-season mini-episode here. Season four of our show will emerge from the podcast Ether next month. Comedian Pete Holmes is going to be our first guest, and that interview went well. What's the difference in how you talked about your religion uh, when you were younger than how you talk about your spirituality now. I, I notice in in your body there's a relaxedness, there's a there's a <laughs> smile on your face when you talk yeah, about this. Right. But when you talk about where you were before, it sounds like there was a lot of fear, uh, maybe from anxiety, maybe yeah, from depression. Not surprised it's a hit podcast, I gotta tell you. <laughs> These are hot questions. Cause you're right on the money. Well, I hope you've been getting some reading done this summer. Always nice to do this time of year on the beach or in a hammock or just at the library. Look, I don't know your habits. That's your personal business. I've noticed, and maybe you have as well, that it is very, very easy to write about depression poorly. All too often, Clint D. is portrayed as something very dramatic that overwhelms a character in a novel, but then a bit of good news or some sunlight comes along. Maybe they go for a brisk walk and then suddenly they're fine. Meanwhile, those of us who have dealt with the reality read that and we think, no, that's not how it works. It rings false. It throws off the whole book. Even in nonfiction, an author can just not get it. And it can be hard to stay with a book after that. But what about a book that just flat out nails it, that gets it right? We wanted to pool the expertise of our listeners, create kind of a thwadball hive mind. Over at our Facebook, we asked you, our listeners, for books that got depression right. Well, when we did that, a lot of people mentioned Jenny Lawson, author of Furiously Happy and Let's Pretend This Never Happened. Here is one of many responses. This is Kathy Casey from Salem Springs, Arkansas. If you've not read Jenny Lawson's work, you're missing a treat and a gift from the universe. Depression isn't funny, but we are. Jenny reminds us that humor can be found in difficult times. She pulls you vividly into her world and you don't want to leave it. Finding real talk like hers helps to empower self-love and strengthens us to stand up for folks with brain illnesses. It helps bust that stigma. We find common ground in her writings and that creates dialogue. Jenny Lawson brings the monsters out from under our beds. Jenny Lawson is a friend of the show, of course. Season 2, episode 12. I talked to her on Skype. You know, we've been asking our listeners for books that get depression right, that don't uh, glamorize it or don't, you know, make it into some sort of monster other than the monster that it is. And your name kept coming up. People said Jenny Lawson gets it right. That's so awesome. I love that. I mean, I hate that that's something that I can get right, but it's, <laughs> it's, nice, that, it's nice that it uh, translated on the page because, you know, you, you always write something and then you're like, oh, is that, oh, is anybody going to understand this and relate to it? And they're all going to think I'm crazy, which I mean, technically I am, but right. so yeah. <laughs> I often use that as a, as an out that Hey, you know, I am crazy. Technically, I am crazy. So therefore, you know, give me some slack. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this is what I'm wondering. So depression is colorless, formless, shapeless, odorless, doesn't show up on x-rays or any medical equipment. Um, it does. It isn't a tangible thing. So what are the ch- given that what are the challenges in writing about it? 
Um, you know, I think for me, uh, one of the biggest challenges and eventually um, the biggest freedoms is uh, I, I had a real hard time with the fact that my depression doesn't look like anybody else's depression. Um, and so I had such a hard time thinking, okay, well, how am I going to write this in a way that is, uh, that is relatable and that people won't be like, that's not really what depression is. Depression is being sad, not having, you know, a lack of an emotion or, um, and I, I think one of the biggest, uh, freedoms is giving yourself permission to write about you personally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I, when I was able to say like, okay, this is what depression looks like for me. It is not what it looks like for everybody else, maybe. Um, but this is how it presents itself with me. And these are the, the specific things that help me. And those specific things may not help you at all. And the things that help you might not help me. But if we're having this conversation, then all of a sudden, maybe there are these, you know, a few little things that all of a sudden you go, Oh, oh, I felt that before. I I thought I was the only one or, you know, I, I have had a lot of people who um, read my books and then later said, I didn't realize at the time that I was suffering from depression. And it was only when I read it and realized that it's not about, you know, crying all day um, that, that I actually had depression and then they were able to get treatment. Um, so, I, you know, I think just being able to talk about um, your personal strangeness is a wonderful gift that you can give to yourself and to others as well. Do you find it necessary to stipulate when you write about your depression that this is my experience with it? Uh, you know, yours may vary, or do you think that's just implied? Um, I think now it is more implied just because people have been talking about it so long and, and, people understand it more. Um, but definitely when I first started writing about it, um, because I thought that everybody's depression sort of presented in a similar sort of way. And as I started to learn that it shows up in different ways and, and there were even, you know, there have been people in my life where I thought, you know, there's no way in a million years, this person could have, um, depression or anxiety because, they're so completely different from me and, and their mental illness presents in such a different way that I wasn't able to see it. And that, and that's like, even after, like I've written New York times books about mental illness and, and still in people who I love and who are close to me, I, I don't always, I can't always see it because I'm so stuck in my own head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and part of what, you do in your writing, I mean, the, the, the phrase depression lies comes up a lot when you talk about it and you sometimes develop it as a, a character. You anthropomorphize it. You turn it into a person or at least a, a ghost monster of some sort. And yes. what are the, uh, what are the advantages of humanizing it into a, into a being? And what are the pitfalls of that? Well, I think the advantages are um, there's something about um, accepting these 
terrible monsters that are with us. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, my depression is pretty much always with me in, in some form or another. It, it never completely goes away. Um, but when I'm able to deal with it, it becomes sort of a pocket monster um, that's always with me. So if it's going to be with me always, I might as well make friends with it as much as I can. Um, in, in the way that like if you have a terrible pet uh, who's like constantly biting you and mauling all the furniture and peeing everywhere and you want it to leave. But at the same time, you just want to be like, okay, well, you're part of me. So let's deal with this. Um, but I, I think it can be a real, um, it can be a real pitfall to look at it that way because, um, then you start to think that, that you are your depression and you're not, you know, you, you aren't your, your mental illness, um, as much as it is, uh, you know, possibly deeply ingrained like it is with me. Um, I'm still me and I have mental illness, but depression doesn't have me, or at least when things are going well, it doesn't have me. By calling it a, a pocket monster, I think this is the first time I've heard it compared to a Pokemon in my <laughs> history of doing this show. It's a ghastly. It did it <laughs> Instead of a water or air, it's a mind type Pokemon. It is. It is. It's poison. It's yep. a. It's a poison ghost. <laughs> Pokemon. This is, um, you know what? This is actually, this is really, this is going to go in the chapter of my next book, which I actually literally am writing about Pokemon at the moment Perfect. about how it helps with anxiety. So look at you. You're helping me. Depression. I choose you. <laughs> and, and then it's oh just God, a question of what it's going to evolve into. What are the next forms? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> We're really oh, onto something. I have, stop, I have to stop giving it candy. It just keeps growing. Oh, Jenny, let's turn this into an augmented reality game and make millions of dollars. Oh, my God. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> um, what do you know? People obviously come up and, and talk to you all the time uh, about about your books and about what your books mean to them. Um, what's the most satisfying thing that you hear from readers uh, when it comes to writing about depression in your books? Uh, there, there are several things. Um, one is that um, I, I always talk about that I keep this folder of, of um, you know, people who have uh, said that they were in the process of considering suicide and then decided not to and decided to get help because they, you know, read what I had written and decided not to, not because, not because they had read about what I had written, but because they saw the response to what I had read, uh, to what I had written. Um, and by seeing the response, by seeing that, uh, the response in the comment section of people saying, Oh my God, I thought it was just me. Or the fact that, you know, the, the book is a bestseller. Um, they can look at it and go, okay, well, if, all of these people are feeling like they are miserable failures. They can't all be right. And, and if they're not right, then maybe I'm not right. And maybe, maybe I'm worth getting help. Mm. And so very often people will come up to me and say, you know, I was in the process of attempting and I got help and now I'm better. Um, and that to me is 
it's, it's, it's so amazing and wonderful. And it also really helps me because, um, I have, um, avoidant personality disorder and I have imposter syndrome and I have all sorts of issues that make me sort of hate myself a lot. Mm -hmm. And so every time that I hear something like that, um, it doesn't last for very long in my head, but for just a moment, it feels like, Oh, actually, Oh, actually I am, I am doing, I am doing important work, even though this feels, you know, silly and crazy and, you know, it, it takes years and years and years for me to write a book because I'm not quick like everyone else. And, um, and it pushes me forward. Um, so it, it sort of becomes like this merry-go-round, um, which is kind of wonderful. Who do you read that you think gets depression right? What authors uh, stand, have stood out to you? Um, I think um, my personal favorite, Ali Brosh, Hyperbole mm. and a Half, I think um, was one of the first times when I felt so seen that I almost thought she had been living with me and had been documenting um, <laughs> my life. Yeah, uh, it, it was a little it was a little scary. Um, but I think she gets she so gets the the bleakness and the self-hatred, but also the joy Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and she, she really grasped the idea of like, laugh about it, you know, that, that you, you're not always going to be able to laugh about it because it's miserable and you're going to have a month at a time where you just can't do anything and can't get out of bed. But when you can like live your life and be happy and, um, you know, someone actually in my comments yesterday I said this thing and I was like, God, this is so brilliant. I actually went and looked it up because I was like, did they steal this from somebody? Because it's so good. But they said something about how um, they were like, you know, you do a good job of washing your sorrow out with joy. And I just, I was like, I love that, that phrase because we do all have sorrow, but you know, of just almost like you're rinsing your mouth out after you've tasted something bad that whenever you have your sorrow, as soon as you can, try to rinse it out with joy. Mm, good advice. Jenny Lawson, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we heard a lot about Allie Brosh as well. And all of us love Allie Brosh. Allie, come on our show. But we heard a lot of other great recommendations too. So grab a pad and paper. Those are coming up in just a moment. Back now on a special episode of The Hilarious World of Depression, talking about books that get it, authors that understand depression and write about it in a helpful way. Here's what some of you had to say. Hey everyone, my name is Amy Claver, and I live at the bottom of the world in Tasmania, Australia. The book I recommend to my fellow thwartballs is The Upward Spiral, Using Neuroscience to Reverse the Course of Depression, One Small Change at a Time, by Alex Korb. The book delves into different areas of the brain, focusing on what their purpose is and how they affect and are affected by depression. It sounds like a daunting read, especially if you're like me and avoided science in high school, but I promise it's written in a way that most people will understand. 
I highly recommend it to anyone who has experienced depression or has a loved one going through it, as it's the first book that I've personally read that goes beyond the term chemical imbalance and demonstrates that depression is nobody's fault. It's just a crappy thing that happens when your brain gets stuck, and it gives helpful advice on how to break the cycle and work towards an upward spiral. The recommendations suggested in the book are nothing you haven't heard before, but it actually tells you how they work, which will most likely inspire you to persevere. The book really helped me come to terms with my mental health um, and made me feel a lot less crazy. Hi, Thwadballs. Cheryl from Calgary, Alberta here. The book that I wanted to mention is called Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig. Something about this book nails exactly what it's like to live with these unwelcome little guests of anxiety and depression in your mind day to day. If I wasn't nodding in agreement along with the way that Matt explains things, I was grabbing a highlighter to mark them because he explained them in a way that I had never thought of. It's just It's funny. It's interesting. At some points, future Matt writes letters to past Matt to remind him that things, good things will come. It's a book I've recommended to dozens and dozens of people. I've read it twice and will probably read it more. Hi, my name is Elaine and I'm from Minneapolis. The first book that came to mind when thinking about books and depression is called She Got Up Off the Couch by Haven Kimmel. It's a true story of one girl's life in a tiny town in Indiana. She talks a lot about her mother, who spends most of her time on the couch reading. See the huge coincidence here? So her child is left to her own devices at the same time. The reality is that mom is not lazy or uncaring. She's been suffering with depression for many years. I love this book for so many reasons, and not just because I grew up in small towns raising myself. I love that it addresses a huge misconception about depression, which is that depression equals a bad parent whose children grow up to ultimately resent them. This book shows a child who grows up to adore their parent and to write a book about their happy and perfect childhood and how they are, how proud they are of their parent. I feel like this book is so hopeful about living with depression. It takes place in the 1960s, which wasn't an easy time for women in the first place. The author's mom not only gets up off that couch, she goes to college and figures out what she wants, which is not easy even under the best of circumstances. Reading this made me feel like depression won't scar my children for life. Maybe the impossible is possible and things can and do change eventually. I'm Ellie Hong from Amherst, Massachusetts, and I'm recommending Night Falls Fast by Kay Redfield Jameson. Most of this book is an academic study of suicide from cultural, neurological, and other perspectives, but what made it resonate with me was Jameson's inclusion of personal narratives, including her own struggle with bipolar disorder and suicidality. On top of being an established academic, Jameson is a terrific writer, and I thoroughly enjoyed hearing what she had to say. Hi, I'm Liz Galvin Liu, and I'm in Los Angeles, California. I wanted to recommend the book What Made Maddie Run by journalist Kate Fagan. She explores the life and death of Maddie Halloran, a Division I runner at the University of Pennsylvania who died by suicide during her freshman year. I teach freshman writing at UCLA and have taught many scholar athletes. I thought I had a pretty good idea of the pressures they face, but Fagan demonstrates how these pressures can coalesce in a person at a vulnerable age for depression. In this case, Maddie's coaches and professors thought she was doing fine, just where freshmen should be, but she thought she was a complete failure, once the best runner in her state, now just average, once acing her classes, now below average. Meanwhile, she felt extreme pressure to project a social media image of this fun life full of perfection and ease. 
Many of my freshmen write about how before starting college, the message they constantly received from family and teachers were, was, these are going to be the best years of your life. Then they felt blindsided by how hard and lonely the first year is. Fagan's book can help us talk more realistically about the pressures that affect an 18-year-old's mental health and maybe help concerned adults spot problems sooner. Hi, uh, my name is Gareth and I'm from Wales in the UK. My book recommendation is Reasons to Stay Alive by the excellent Matt Haig. Matt wrote the book to document his own journey through depression from a young man to a middle-aged man. It's a heartbreaking read but ultimately very rewarding, and more importantly, it offers hope. I would also recommend Matt's follow-up book, Notes on a Nervous Planet, which is intended as a kind of antidote to modern life and the way that that can contribute to making us all unhappy. So there we go. Hey, my name is Haley. I'm from Plano, Illinois, and I live in DeKalb, Illinois, as a student at Northern Illinois University. I read this book called Empty by K.M. Walton when I was 13 years old. For reference, I'm 19 now. This book really resonated with me at the time because it was about the time that I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. The book really portrays a young adult's mind going through multiple things. Dell, the main character, has to deal with anxiety, depression, an abusive mother, bullying at school, suicidal thoughts, and her constant battle with her body weight and image. When I was reading this book, I couldn't put it down. Being 13 years old and reading a story about a girl who was struggling so badly, and it's a story that unfortunately doesn't have a happy ending, I resonated a lot with the world she was facing and the emotions that she was feeling. I was in tears by the end of the book, and I actually had an anxiety attack after reading the book, to be honest. Because I didn't want to let my mind be what takes over my life, which was ironic in that situation. Hi, my name is Helen Bogus, and I live in Chicago. Anxiety and depression and mental health were things that were never discussed when I was growing up, but as an adult, I've learned the pretty profound effect it's had on my family. Two books that have been very important reads for me during this time are Little Panic by Amanda Stern and First We Make the Beast Beautiful by Sarah Wilson. Both of these books talk about the author's experiences as highly anxious children and reading them helped me connect events from my childhood to my anxiety rather than how it felt and how I viewed it for so many years, which is that I wasn't brave enough or strong enough or capable enough or whatever it is that I wasn't blank enough to go through them on my own. Uh, it's given me the opportunity to look at it in a way that gives more kindness and understanding to my child self in those situations who really didn't know what was going on and didn't know all of these factors that went into it. I think these books would also be really good reads for people who may not struggle with anxiety or depression or mental health themselves, but have someone in their life who does. This is Yvonne in Washington, D.C., and a book that helped me immensely when I was first seriously coming to grips with my depression was Andrew Solomon's The Noonday Demon, An Atlas of Depression. Um, it's a book that looks at depression as a historical phenomenon. Uh, he talks about depression certainly in his own life uh, and in the lives of those around him. Um, when, when I was first starting therapy, I found this book 
a really helpful and almost cheering look at all the different things depression can look like. Um, in particular, one passage sticks out to me that I think about a lot. He talks to a woman who says, I'm quoting, you don't think in depression that you've put on a gray veil and are seeing the world through the haze of a bad mood. You think that the veil has been taken away, the veil of happiness, and that now you're seeing truly. When I was first trying to come to grips with my depression, understand reading that passage and understanding that depression was fundamentally a distortion of the truth was an incredibly helpful first step for me and I think really did help me um, get on medication, get serious about therapy, uh, and start learning how to live with this thing that's in my life. Hello, I'm Jordan and I'm from Leicester, England and my book is Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Now, I discovered this book when I was about 16, 17. Um, I'm now 23 and this book really helped me in a time I was struggling um, and I didn't really know what was going on. Um, one of the quotes from the book reads so this is my life and I want you to know that I am both happy and sad and I'm still trying to figure out how that could be and that was kind of the situation I was in at the time and I was like I could be a big personality in a room or I could hide away in my own room locks away for days on end and I couldn't really find the balance and I didn't really know what was going on but I could really resonate with these characters and yet the way Stephen Chbosky had put together this piece of art he did really well because it didn't feel created it didn't feel it just felt like a snapshot of life my name is Megan Sullivan and I'm from Seattle Washington uh, the book that really uh, gave me the best description of depression I'd had ever read uh, was Darkness Visible by William Styron. I was being treated for clinical depression at the time I read it, and my doctor uh, was belatedly dismayed um, that I'd read it, as she was afraid it would cause me uh, to become more depressed, as it dealt with the author's recent suicidality. But one thing that resonated with me was Styron's complaint about the word depression to describe depression, <laughs> and I'll read an edited version of what he thought the replacement for that should be. As one who suffered from the malady in extremis, yet returned to tell the tale, I would lobby for a truly arresting designation. Brainstorm, for instance, has unfortunately been preempted to describe intellectual inspiration, but something along these lines is needed. Told that someone's mood disorder has evolved into a storm, a veritable howling tempest in the brain, which is indeed what a clinical depression resembles like nothing else. Even the uninformed layman might display sympathy rather than a standard reaction. Hi, my name is Michelle. I live in Kankakee, Illinois. My book choice was Where Do You Go, Bernadette? Even though it's told from the daughter's perspective, it really hit home for me after having my daughter and me dealing with postpartum depression. As a new mom, it's easy to feel overwhelmed or like the life that you thought it was going to be isn't exactly what you turned out to have. And that desperation to get it back can lead to some pretty severe depression. And I really identified with the story. 
Sarah Mae Nelson, Half Moon Bay, California. Another THWAD listener recommended the Bible, particularly the Psalms of David. I agree 100%, and the best part to me is that God called David a man after his own heart, which helped me to no end when I thought about the struggles that David faced and the fact that God still loved and cherished him and saw him and accepted him as flawed and still the man that David was supposed to be, and perhaps that God in his wisdom and love and struggles looking at his own creation might go through the same. Hey, I'm Shannon C. from Minneapolis, and the book that best captures depression for me is a little-known semi-autobiographical novel called Welcome to My Planet by Shannon Olson. For me, she totally nails how there doesn't have to be like anything exactly wrong in order to suffer from depression. The main character, also called Shannon, has decent people in her life, good things around her, but those people and those things can't fix everything. Hi, my name is Kelly and I live in Rhode Island. Um, My recommendation for a book that got depression right was um, Prozac Nation by Elizabeth Wurzel. Um, I read it first when I was in high school and my sister was experiencing depression and I wanted to try to understand what she was going through. It did a really nice job of trying to explain and I felt like I understood a little better. A few years later, I started experiencing depression and I went back to Prozac Nation um, and as I reread it, I kept thinking, how does she know what's going on in my mind? We have a complete and exhaustive list of your recommendations for books that get it. That's at hilariousworld.org. Going to give that library card a workout. The Hilarious World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Chrissy Pease is our producer. Christina Lopez is our web and social media producer. Phyllis Fletcher provides us an extra editorial brain. Recording engineers for this episode, Johnny Vince Evans, and a lot of listeners on their phones. Veronica Rodriguez was technical director. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. Visit our new snazzed-up website, hilariousworld.org. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 1-800-273-8255. Season 4 debuts next month with Pete Holmes. I'm John Moe. Bye now. What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint? Say I'm a hopeless case Say it ain't so Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know
medicine Guy says, Doc, that's the problem What if I was to tell you I'm Pagliacci This great big smile is just for show Sad clown, tell me something I don't know. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know. 